Guy here with a quick message before we get on with the pod. As a thank you to our most dedicated and loyal viewers and listeners to Blood Red, we're inviting you to join our Blood Red Club. By joining, you'll get access to insider transfer content as well as interviews with former favourites and those connected at Anfield. All you need to do is head to bloodredpodcast.co.uk, enter your email address and our exclusive content will head to your inbox. That's bloodredpodcast.co.uk. Thanks. Now on with the show. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the bottom line here on the Blood Red channel, your Liverpool FC finance podcast with our business of football writer at the Echo, Dave Powell. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for taking the time to download and listen. Coming up, we'll be speaking transfer spends. A certain Kylian Mbappe may well get a mention. We have the latest on the Anfield Road development and why FSG are so keen to press ahead. Plus, Redbird Capital plan their next move into football and what of the failed Super League? Remember that? I certainly do. Dave, we've got a lot to get through. How are you doing? Very well, thanks, Guy. Very well, thanks. Are you? Yeah, not so bad, thanks. Good, and good. Uh, I suppose in terms of where we sit right now, it's an interesting time sort of in the football finance world because we're beginning, aren't we, to sort of see and uh, feel the full effects of the COVID pandemic. And I suppose we don't have to look sort of too far away. Manchester United and the way in which they operate, of course, having to uh, deliver plenty of regular updates. And I suppose the latest of them might well give us a glimpse into sort of where Liverpool are at as well. Yeah, I mean, when the team started, uh, clubs started filing their annual accounts for 2020, it was, it was almost a, a false picture um, because it only took into account the first three months of the pandemic. So for, for that period, although we did see a, a number of games moved um, into the next accounting period, which means you, you lose a significant amount, amount of revenue, that still gets booked on for the following year. But uh, it didn't show us quite how um, a lack of fans in stadiums um, would affect clubs. Uh, and obviously Manchester United are the only Premier League club of a, um, a, public, a public company. So they filed their third quarterly reports. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was quite stark. I mean, We've been braced for these heavy losses moving forward. Um, and, and by the time Liverpool published their next accounts, I, I fully expect that um, that loss that we showed this season of £46 million will, will increase um, because it will be taken into account a number of factors um, that, that simply weren't there for the first three months last year. So Manchester United's uh, match day revenue for the the, uh, the third quarter was, was down 94.5%, you know, um, to, to kind of, I think it's £1.6 million, um, which is... is it's negligible, really. It's it, it, that's you know. The, there's been no f- meaningful um, crowds allowed in until the very last uh, day of the season for Liverpool, at least uh, Anfield. Um, and we're starting to see that now. And also, crucially for United, it was <clears throat> a case of um, they've also seen a drop in commercial revenue, um, about ten and a half million, I think, which is um, maybe pointing to to some uh, concern among among corporate sponsors moving forward because at the end of the day, while football clubs have lost money during this pandemic, so too obviously businesses uh, and they're possibly reassessing how they spend their money uh, as and when deals come to an end. Um, so I, I imagine we'll probably see quite a bit of that uh, moving forward in terms of uh, some for some firms, um, it's been, you know, if you look at United's next team, uh, next corporate shirt sponsor, uh, team viewer, you know, it's a, basically a firm which has thrived through um, lockdown and, and had people having to remote work and, and, and things like that. So um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of 
sponsors come on board um, as and when they are renegotiated. But yeah, for, for United, they, they did their latest kind of statements uh, for the third quarter paint a, a more realistic picture of where we're starting to head for COVID. I mean, because the Premier League are expecting one and a half to two billion pounds worth of losses by the end of 2021. Um, and, and that probably seems to be playing out already. Um, and no clubs immune. Um, Manchester United, obviously, are a commercial colossus. Um, but still, I mean, the, the, the effects of the pandemic are, uh, are far-reaching. And I imagine Liverpool will be feeling similar type of pinch when um, when the time comes for them to publish their full-year accounts probably early next, next, 20, uh, next year in 2022. Yeah, you do wonder, I suppose, if this is going to be maybe the, the beginning of a chain event for somewhat of a, a restart, because we so often hear, certainly from lower down in the pyramid, that the Premier League is awash with money, yet actually so many of these clubs are still operating at losses. And even even despite that, though, Liverpool have gone out and spent the £34 million on Ibrahima Konate, that being a, a release clause. So they've paid that sort of straight up, I, I believe, Dave. And l- looking at it in kind of the way that Liverpool have been able to, right at the beginning of the summer, go out and spend big after securing Champions League qualification. Do you think now that the expectation is that those players that are sold through the rest of the window will be recouping what's already been spent, as opposed to, I think a few people will be hoping it's going to the, the Kylian Mbappe transfer fund? <laughs> um, I imagine so. I mean, it, I don't think there's any um, football club that isn't looking at the transfer market slightly differently. Um than they were 18 months or two years ago, maybe. Um, Save for maybe Paris Saint-Germain, but when you have an asset like Kylian Mbappe, that you know you you've already got that asset, same as they got Neymar, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it, it's one of those things that I don't see there being too many um, clubs spending big. I mean, Liverpool they've they've acted early to address a, a need. Um, they saw Quebec at the end of last season. Um, he did okay. Obviously, Nat Phillips did did okay, but for the for the longer term, um, for where Liverpool need to be, I mean, they probably didn't don't tick those boxes, which is why we see they'll probably look at that Canate fee, paying it now, and, and realise that they want about fifteen million pounds worth for, for Nat Phillips. Um, so immediately they'll be looking at recouping that and kind of one in one out. Um, they're not going to be paying the. Um, fee for Quebec, which would have been um, around the 18 million mark, I think. So ultimately, these things start to add up and it doesn't seem as as, as kind of an exuberant spend as maybe it did at the start. Um, but that's the FSG way, really, isn't it? I mean, for um, it's it, for some, it's lauded. For for, for many, it's it, it's criticised and, and loathed. Um, but ultimately, for the for the here and now, it is how um, they won't be on their own in operating um, in that respect, um, which is why, kind of, you mentioned Mbappe before. I, I just don't see that um, move happening anywhere this summer. If I if it happens, I'll eat my words. But I just don't think there is a market to support that um, at present for anyone. No, you've you've written recently on the Echo regarding sort of uh, Kylian Mbappe, and I suppose I think maybe one of the biggest problems is the club he's already at in, in Paris Saint Germain. I mean, I think we're what just under a week or so away from him entering that final year, so I think all Liverpool fans have the calendars ready to mark off day by day the 365 days until he is a free agent. But I mean, it's one of those, isn't it? Free agent or not, this is a, a deal of astronomical numbers that would have to require Liverpool breaking a wage structure, which has been so sort of uh, paramount to the success that they've actually had. 
and it, it threatens everything else then. Um, and ultimately, the, the, this whole story ar- arrives at a time when um, clubs will start to look at their wage bills and how it rises um, and start to trim that back. I mean, you look at Liverpool's wage bill over the past six years, um, it's increased by, I think, 94%. Um, and then if you look at it in terms of growth, it's uh, a growth to revenue uh, ratio in terms of the revenue rise. It, the, the wages are growing at a faster rate than the revenue is growing. And there comes a point when um, it, it will tip that balance of being acceptable, um, which is seen by many about 75% mark of being manageable. And once you start getting into the 80%, 90%, and you're spending your amount, that amount of revenue on wages, um, where does it all lead to? You know, you, you're on a road to, to ruin. And, and this is why. I think they looked at the, the Super League as a way of, it's almost like that silver bullet. So you've got guaranteed income every year that props up all the other things that the fans want. But in reality, um, clubs are going to have to start thinking about what UEFA are going to do with bringing in new financial fair play, which will ultimately hamper a lot of, a lot of these kind of deals. I mean, we've heard Mbappe um, wanting around £600,000 a week at PSG. Um uh, a rough estimate, we'd probably imagine most Salah earns about a third of that Liverpool and he's their highest earner. It's just not feasible um, without entirely breaking the structure um, and players having to acknowledge that this one person is, is worth three of them in, in some respects. Um, it creates disharmony. Um, and when it comes to renegotiating new contracts, you are going to be having your feet held to the fire constantly um, because they believe the money's there for you to pay for these players. So um, I just don't see it. And I don't see how, I mean, you look at last year, Manchester City, I mean, fueled by all the money you could possibly imagine, they still balked at the uh, Lionel Messi um, contract. I mean, and that's for arguably um, the greatest player that ever played football Um are Liverpool going to, a club notorious under FSG for um, thrift, going to spend that kind of money? I, I just don't see it. And it, it's the same we see them linked with Real Madrid. Um, that to me is bluster. I mean, Real Madrid's finances are an absolute dumpster fire. Um, same for Barcelona. Um, they're having to, they have a lot of short term debt which needs servicing. Um, I mean, having debt's one thing. If you can service debt and you're a football club, um, so if you look at Tottenham, for example, if you have a lot of debt, it's a lot of it long-term, and you can service it, debt isn't really an issue. Um, it's when that debt falls in the short term, you can't meet it. So um, that's why Barcelona are having this half a billion pound restructuring plan through Goldman Sachs to, to make sure they stay solvent. Um, but they have to portray that they are going after the likes of Kylian Mbappe and they are that they are after the best players in the world and that they can make this happen. Um, next summer, who knows? If, he, if he's a free agent, then I think that for him yeah, opens up a lot more possibilities than what he'd be looking for now. I mean, where can he go now? Where would he go? Manchester City? They don't seem to be in the market for a player like that. Um, certainly at that kind of, kind of price. Um, Barcelona and Real Madrid, I, I just don't see how you manage to spend that kind of money um, when you effectively don't have it and then you had to Im- impose wage cuts in Real Madrid's case um, last year on staff. Um, it, it just seems that the market is is kind of depressed almost to the point that 
I just don't see that happening this year. I mean, I'm, he, he said he's going to make his decision after the Euros, which is is fair enough. I, I expect that it might be finding some kind of common ground with Paris Saint-Germain saying, I will sign a shorter-term deal possibly, um, but really with a provisor that, that allows them to recoup some money for him rather than let him go on a free, but with kind of a gentleman's agreement that he will be allowed to leave next summer maybe for a fee. Um, who knows? But, you know, we're, we're kind of surmising here, but um, I, I just don't see a, a scenario where, of course, Liverpool would be interested in Kylian Mbappe. There isn't a football club in, in the world that wouldn't be interested in Kylian Mbappe, but it just doesn't make any kind of financial sense. I mean, we've mentioned, I think I've written in the past about um, Nike possibly being used to leverage some kind of relationship, which isn't beyond the realms of possibility, but they would have to be doing a lot of heavy lifting in a deal like that. And uh, Paris Saint-Germain are, are a Nike client, um, and they're a night client who they are betting big on at the moment through their Air Jordan brand. Um, they're giving them more global visibility. And Mbappe is kind of core to all that, um, to their marketing strategy there. So I don't see how it would be really beneficial for Nike to, to shift him from Paris Saint-Germain to, to Liverpool. Uh, it's kind of a, for, for them as a marketing perspective, it'd probably be a, a sideways move because they have plans to Liverpool, but um, their plans for... For, for, for Paris Saint-Germain are further down the road. So, yeah, so in short, I, I, I don't see that happening for Liverpool at all. Um, and I, I'd i be very, very, very surprised if it, it happened, if he went anywhere this summer, other than staying at Paris Saint-Germain for at least uh, another 12 months. Ah, oh, well, it was fun whilst it lasted. <laughs> the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You mentioned before, in terms of... Um, wage bill rising and outstripping sort of revenue coming into the club. Well, I suppose for FSG, rather than let the wages go too high before they rectify that with revenue, it will be the other way that the scales are balanced, that they'll make sure the revenue is coming in before the wages go up. And I suppose a big part of that that we should touch on is the Anfield Road redevelopment. Yeah, I mean, it's something which is um, going to be a, a big deal for them. It's sixty million pounds. I think it takes their their spend on infrastructure past the two hundred million mark after the the main stand development. Um, it's seven thousand seats increase. I mean that goes towards servicing demand for tickets. I mean you will always sell out, you know sell out Anfield for for big game Premier League games. It's you know the demand is there absolutely you know a um, hundredfold probably. Um, but it's about what else you can do with the stadium. Um, there's going to be, I mean, while the, the hospitality um, side of the main stand proved hugely beneficial, given a £12 million lift in the you know, in the first year after they um, completed that, um, there's not going to be something, you know, they're not going to have that kind of um, boost with the Anfield Road development um, in terms of hospitality, but they are going to have corporate spaces there which they can sell. Um, there'll be a demand for that. There'll be a banking on um, as we come out of the, the pandemic and um, but again, I suppose that's question marks. Will will that kind of thing conferencing and will that all be as it was? I mean, it's those kind of question marks. I think it's. Um, but all this was in in play before the pandemic. Um, yeah, the big thing is obviously increasing the <clears throat> the servicing that demand for tickets. But um, they'll also be trying to bring in other revenue streams through possibly hosting NFL matches by increasing the size of the. Um, the pitch there, if they can, in terms of moving that back, Gaelic games. Um, I mean, they've already hosted those at Fenway Park in the past, and they've been hugely successful. Um, so, possibility we might see that. I mean, we saw Elton John um, announce his 
um, a leg of his tour next year to be held at Anfield. I imagine there'll be another couple of concerts which will follow on from that. Um, and possibly we might see um, if they can get something done, a couple of uh, either exhibition games or, or, or regular season games for possibly the, the NFL. I mean, that's the what they dearly love um, because that partnership that Tottenham have with um, the NFL is enormous. I mean, that's one of the reasons why they, they've invested so heavily in terms of getting that stadium up and running and spending so big on it. Um, yes, they've been impacted probably worse than any other Premier League club um, through the pandemic. Um, but they don't have an awful lot of short-term debt, which means by the time that stadiums open up and, and, and kind of consumer confidence returns, they should be able to realise the benefits further on down the line of that. But of course, that stadium is uh, is built to um, host NFL games. I mean, it's a retractable pitch, which comes away. I mean, and it is ultimately a stadium which is designed to empty your wallet um, from the beer glasses, which fill up from the bottom to... Um, the beer glasses fill up from the bottom. You, your money in your wallet drains. The money just drains out. Yeah, it literally, yeah. it's it, it's an it is an open wallet situation in that stadium. Whereby yeah. there are so many things that can drain your wallet, and that's ultimately what they they seek that kind of experience as. I mean, it's very uh, American in that respect. I mean, it's um, uh, I think Yankee Stadium underwent a big kind of similar redevelopment um, <clears throat> a few years back, uh, and it was very similar. Um, whereby it's designed to be a, an experience, uh, a kind of a, a retail experience as much as a, a kind of uh, physical and emotional experience of watching the football. Um, and also, crucially for Tottenham, they get to keep all uh, the revenues from the Fanatics pop-up stores that comes and the, the merchandise and, and all that. So Liverpool will see all this as a, a potential revenue um, generator. I mean, in Tottenham's case, they had three, uh, two concerts there uh, planned for last year which were um, Guns N' Roses um, and uh, I can't remember the other ones that my mind now, but they were supposed to have a Anthony Joshua fight there as well. Um, and all those combined would have raked in about 10 million for them. So it, Liverpool will be open for that type of thing from concerts, I imagine. Um, because it was only 2019 that they had, they kind of kick-started all that off again. I mean, they had Bon Jovi, Take That Pink, um, and, and they want to turn it into a, a destination. And, I wrote something earlier actually about it's kind of in FSG's wheelhouse almost kind of that kind of thing because um, they've just laid the final beam of a, a 5,000 seater music venue adjacent to Fenway Park so you can you can I know we they say the two things are opposite all the time but I think we've had this conversation before Guy where you don't have to look too far um, to what goes on at Boston um, to see how the things usually align in, in some way and there's usually a of a simpatico relationship um, that, that that's formed there, um, but whatever it is, we'll be hoping to to make the the money back on the development and then some um, in the longer term. Yeah, I suppose safe to say that even the the Anfield Road redevelopment for the stadium as such for capacity might well be it for a little while. But I'm sure, as you say, around Anfield and whatever they can do within Anfield to to maximise, there'll certainly be little screws and nuts and bolts being twisted and turned Absolutely. in this way and the other to, to ensure profit. But let's move on then to, I suppose, the latest element of kind of um, the Liverpool ownership composition of Redbird Capital. Of course, it was earlier in the year that they invested that 11% stake into the club and sort of the, the revenues that are brought with that. But they've got sort of to lose and, and now eyeing up sort of moves in Spain as well. Yeah, I mean, the to lose one was um, before the 
the Liverpool deal happened, that was their first move into it. They looked at, um, I think it was 80 clubs, uh, more than 80 clubs. Um, they assessed things such as, um, obviously, the financial situation, the demographic, um, how kind of relegation-proof some of these clubs are. Um, and they landed on Toulouse. I think they looked at quite a few in, in Italy. Um but yeah, Toulouse was the one they landed on, and it's they missed out narrowly on promotion um, this season, which is obviously a quirk of. It's one of the reasons why they they, they kind of test to like European football because it's very different to um, to how American football is. But when you miss out, um, kind of by goal difference, I think it was, or in the playoff game um, after a season of being better than the teams around them, I think that kind of thing will probably rank up. Um, but yeah, they made this. Move. Um, it's a very small move from the outset uh, in Spain with Malaga. Um, I mean, Malaga in 2013, I think, were Champions League quarter finalists. I mean, they spent a huge amount of money. Um, they had likes of Jeremy Tulalan and uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy, um, Nacho Monreal, and they built a great side. Um, they've fallen away massively, um, but the ownership still remains. But it is now under the um, control of like a Spanish judiciary because it's got so messy um, for various reasons um, about where money's been been spent. Um, so there is a number of interested parties in how in helping to move that forward, Redbird being one, so taking this minority stake uh, in Malaga. And it is a tiny stake. I mean, it's a very, very small stake in a kind of the tens of thousands almost. Um but what that's designed to do is um, they're allowed to seat at the table and uh, the board um, and they're able to provide a, a capital injection um, into the club, which ultimately um, any prospective buyers, I think the, the judiciary have said, need to uh, have a seat at the table on the board so they can be kind of vetted and, and they also need to make a capital injection. So that position is Red Bird for possibly um, making a play for full control as and when um, the, the ownership situation um, at Malaga gets sorted out, which it will. I mean, it won't remain um, as is. Um, but, but Redbird, I think, will see that as their next uh, logical step. I mean, it ticks the boxes. Um, Alex Shiner, who's uh, the uh, partner, is a partner um, at Redbird and he's CEO of Red Bull, the, the special purpose acquisition company that um, Cardinale and Billy Bean were, were trying to take a uh, stake in Liverpool in last year. Um, he kind of said that um, when they're looking at clubs and adding to the portfolio, they're looking for clubs of a similar stature. Um, so they all feed into each other, basically. So um, they wouldn't be interested in, you know, uh, teams that are you know, regional sides that would have to work their way up and through the league. You know, very different to a, um, a kind of what happened with, say, Hoffenheim or what's happened with uh, Leipzig. I mean, it's only... 10, 12 years ago, Leipzig were a, uh, a very small kind of regional league side in, in Germany with several hundred fans. Um, now they're kind of Champions League um, side year after year. Um, so I think Malaga and Toulouse kind of, you can see the similarities there. Demographics are similar. Um, they are both teams which have previously enjoyed success, now fall on hard times. Um, but they're both teams which aren't necessarily, while they've had success, they aren't accustomed to that kind of success and there isn't a demand to have those kind of privileges reinstated straight away. Um, and we, I think we've talked in the past about how all these things could eventually feed into Liverpool and, and benefit Liverpool. I mean, FSG have, uh, have, have moved, you know, kind of toyed with the possibility of 
bringing their own, bringing more clubs on board. But my own feeling is that will happen through Redbird itself. Um, and then that relationship with Redbird in turn with Liverpool and FSG will will grow. Um, that's my my own personal take. There's no no um, no, no kind of uh, no special information behind that. But um, but yeah, I think this is, it's a it's a natural move really for them. I mean, because they said they want about four clubs. Um, Malaga, if it does happen, would be their second. Um, and I expect them to possibly look towards. Germany um, and possibly an, an emerging market uh, league because um, we, we've got this issue soon with Holland and Belgium um, combining their domestic yeah, leagues yeah. to form the to form the Benelliga. So I I wonder whether there might be quite a bit of US investment coming into that because the uh, media rights will be far greater because um, they'll be pulled and the competition will be a lot stronger. There'll be more eyeballs on it. So, and, But ultimately, I think the valuations for the clubs will still remain quite low. Um, so I think there'll be US investment there. So that's possibly one to keep an eye on in terms of what Redbird might do next in the football world. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You were just saying before there, sort of in the footballing world, because I suppose if you sort of bring... I don't know, baseball together with the Premier League and the marketability the Premier League's had all over the world, you might be able to draw a logical conclusion towards the Indian Premier League cricket. And on that, I, I, I see you grinning away there, Dave. I think you like what I did there. In terms yeah, of that, that's, uh, that's, that's Redbird's next move, isn't it? Rajasthan Royals. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Indian Premier League is obviously it's a hugely lucrative competition. Um, enormously popular. Um, that's why... You know the, the the greatest cricket players in the world go to play there. I mean, Ben, ben Stokes plays for the Royals, um, or we did do most recently, um, and it's still it's probably kind of an undervalued asset, really, in terms of how um, Redbird were looking, and that's how they look they look at European football. I mean, these are va- assets which are ultimately undervalued. I mean, you look at the states, and um, there isn't a, a professional franchise. Uh, I don't think in. Major League Baseball, the NFL, um, the NBA, possibly the NHL, um, that isn't valued at less than $1 billion. Um, so it becomes cost prohibitive um, in a lot of respects. But I, th- I think that um, yeah, this marks kind of a step change. I mean, they're going to employ the same type of tactics um, as they have done and sought to previously. I mean, there's been um, a line about how they might lean on Billy Bean a bit to see whether that analytical data approach um, that proved so successful um, for Billy Bean and turned him from Billy Bean into Brad Pitt um, into a Hollywood movie. Um, Whether that might lend itself to kind of transfer into um, cricket, um, because obviously that's already happened in football. I mean, you you only have to look at, we've got Brentford coming into the Premier League next season and their whole model is pretty much kind of underpinned by by that whole thing. but I think, uh, I don't know how much they'll be seeking to drive it forward to make it this winning, you know, I don't know how much trophies will drive that forward. I think they will see there the fact that it is so popular, um, certainly kind of um, with the Indian fan base um, and the Asian fan base who consume um, cricket um, so much and, and also has great interest over here in the UK. I mean, it doesn't have the global audience it wants. I mean, certainly not in the likes of the states, but they will know that there'll be plenty of media opportunities and a chance to get in on the rights there and ultimately grow their investment because they are investors. That's what they're there for. You know, I know 
Um, all these things arrive with the grand plans of how they'll push things forward. But ultimately, it's um, first and foremost, it's there to um, see a return on that investment you know, several fold. And, um, but I think, yeah, Redbird are on a, a real kind of um, kind of making a concerted effort to um, make moves in the market at the moment. So they see the values quite low in terms of sporting entities because of the pandemic. Um, and I think they'll start to possibly look into media organisations. Uh, I mean, Jerry Cardinale already owns a significant stake in um, the Wasserman Media Group, um, which is the, you know, has play, is a player agency. I mean, Joe Gomez is part of the Wasserman Group. So there's all these interesting kind of, kind of dynamics which are going on. Um, <clears throat> my own personal take is I think I still think the FSG deal is will be what the crux of what they their future plans are um, because possibly there might be a I mean because John Henry and, and Tom Werner um, they're, they're into the I think they called FSG 3.0 so it's the third decade of their yeah. their tenure um, and will they go into 4.0 I don't know Um wealthy businessmen tend to never retire they just um continue to have a seat at the uh, the table i don't know if uh, you ever watched succession um but yeah it's very very much like that brian cox's uh character and that I, I very much see uh u.s investors or wealthy businessmen as, as very much being like that but i, I do think cardinale will see that he's now part of a an ownership group that has uh, a stake in Liverpool um, and the Boston Red Sox, as well as in NASCAR, and they also have uh, kind of strong ties with LeBron James, who's kind of one of the most iconic athletes in global sports. So all these things tying together, I think that that seems to be the grand plan. But um, fully expect Redbird to carry on adding around the edges um, at what they do um, moving forward, and, and and this move with the Royals is, is the latest step in that alone. Yeah, fifteen percent stake in in them. Yeah, it all, it all seems that adds up, doesn't it? The stake in Liverpool, the what is it, eighty five percent in Toulouse. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so these these things all, all add up, and it's a lot of money that's <clears throat> been spent this past twelve months. Um, so if you, you think it was seven hundred fifty million dollars um, spent for the stake in FSG, um, another. Uh, what we're talking through, thirty-seven and a half million for the Royals, um, and then on top of what they spent for for Toulouse. I mean, it um, it soon racks up. So they'll be they're obviously on a on a mission at the moment, um, and I don't see that slowing uh, in the in the short term. I think that, like I've mentioned before, I think they'll see valuations are quite low at the moment. Um, clubs are probably more open to outside investment um, as a result of the pandemic, so it's, it provides a window of opportunity. Yeah, Redbird hawking around and looking to swoop you, you might say. But anyway, let's move on to the final point of our agenda and mention at the top the, the failed Super League bid. I say failed Super League bid, I suppose, with uh, sort of apostrophes, inverted commas around them, because what's what's the latest development we've got here, Dave, in terms of a, uh, well, Madrid court filing a, a suit, what, A22, the company behind sort of the, the Super League and things, looking to maybe, after all, try and resurrect things? Or have I read that wrong? No, I mean, basically, I mean, Florentino Perez, Andrea Agnelli um, and Juan Laporta um, all have kind of bet the house in Vegas almost to, to make this happen. Um, they're happy to go toe-to-toe with UEFA. Um, 
they are adamant that they're happy to ostracise themselves from the rest of European football um, because they are adamant that this is happening. Um, whether UEFA like it or not, whether the clubs like it or not, um, they're adamant that this is the only way forward for football to thrive. I mean, by football, they mean themselves um, to, to thrive. Um, because ultimately, it's no surprise that those three clubs are significantly impacted by the pandemic, more so than, than many of those who attempted to sign up. I mean, for, for Liverpool and United, I very much imagine they were part of that instigating party behind all that because it's, um, I mean, you don't have to look dig too deep to realise what kind of John Henry's views on um, media rights and how he kind of, clubs like Liverpool are ultimately the drivers behind why people watch the Champions League, etc. Um Ultimately, if you take out the 12 teams that were going to go into the Super League, you have the Europa League. Um, and while there is interest in it, the interest isn't anywhere near what it is in, in the Champions League because people want to see the biggest, they want to see the best. Um, but yeah, the latest development, May 22 is kind of the the, the, the firm behind the Super League, so the collective group um, behind the Super League. So they as um, soon as the Super League was announced, um, there was an injunction filed with the Madrid court to prevent UEFA from taking punitive action against clubs um, for their part in the Super League. Um, that was upheld in a, uh, the Swiss, the Swiss um, Ministry of Justice, who um, basically ruled that UEFA couldn't, for now, dish out any competitive sanctions um, to the three dissident clubs. So, ergo, that means that... Uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona and, and Juventus will be allowed to play in the Champions League next season, which is exactly what they wanted. So they, they've managed to kind of stick two fingers up in uh, the face of UEFA, but still managed to, uh, you know, come to the party. So, um, But the, the latest situation is basically um, trying to have, well, if they've asked the Madrid court to, to look at and with the possibility of trying to get the sanctions which UEFA imposed on the nine clubs that came back um, quashed. So there was um, a goodwill financial penalty, wasn't it, which went towards grassroots football. I think that was 15 million euros combined. Um, they'll also take a 5% revenue uh, hit this year. So it's kind of a levy, I suppose, on um, on on what they would have got from UEFA competition. And that 5%, while it might seem small, it's quite significant when you consider the sums involved with the Champions League. Um, so there's that. That's only for this coming season, um, by the way. But but then, crucially, you have the um, future impact in terms of if, if they do try and um, make another Super League move, there would be enormous uh, financial penalties, upwards of 100 million euros, I think. Um, competitive sanctions, again, they had to sign up to a club charter. Now, four, all the clubs signed up for this, but the three clubs that remain um, are convinced that those clubs haven't left really this thing is still in existence no one signed any exit agreement here they've left in uh, they've announced that they are leaving in in kind of statements alone there's nothing to say that they are so, actually left yeah so they've obviously had the public statements after the backlash of saying we plan to to pull out but what you're saying is they're still signed up to the super league but they've also signed the charter with uefa to say they won't be part of any super league formation yeah, and, and moving forward, I mean, they, they are in the process of, and UEFA have asked them to satisfy their own worries about um, whether or not they're still involved in the Super League. I mean, it's not simply it's not simply a case of saying, right, lads, we're off. Um, yeah. We don't don't fancy this anymore. Um, there is a whole legal process which has yeah. to be, you know, go through, and we're still only 
you know, we're only a what, we're a month and a half, two months down the line from it all. So there's a, a big legal mess. And while that legal mess is kind of in situ that provides um, – this is just a way of these three clubs just prodding and probing and testing the water to try and get the result that they ultimately want. Um, if they, if they, they won't get this quashed, I don't think, but their argument is that I think they're either trying to curry favour with um, – the nine clubs, but I suspect that it's probably um, not what these clubs kind of want the name dragged back into the Super League mix continually. Um, certainly not in its current guise and, and the way it's being handled by those three clubs. Um, but ultimately, I think it's just pure, it, it, again, it's posturing with the UEFA. What I think Barcelona, Real Madrid and Juventus realise that the Super League, as it stands, isn't happening. I think that's... Um, for the time being, it's kicked into the long grass. But further on down the line, um, remember that term legacy fans, um, those fans that go to games and, and watch games, yeah, those those fans. Um, I think they'll be banking on, as there is a generational shift in terms of who consumes football and the opposition becomes less in terms of uh, maybe we'll get to a point where so many people, the people who consume football through social media and devices, etc. Um, they have less interest in maintaining the domestic product um, than than the fans who, who go and experience the raw emotion of it all. Maybe they're banking on that, but um, I don't know. Florentino Perez is, an, is getting on a bit. I don't know whether he's, um, he's wise to be carrying on, carrying on waiting for that game to, to come to fruition. But um, I, I think it's just posturing, and I think that they will be just be angling to get what they really want out of all this, which is greater revenue from uh, media rights. Um, and I think possibly by doing this, they might um, be, be trying to get some of the teams back on side uh, to, to try and angle for that, because that's what these clubs want. They want a greater slice, Liverpool included, they want a greater slice of the TV rights that come with the Champions League, because I think they feel that it's um, not weighted as as fairly as it should be in in the balance of those who who drive the most revenue into the into the competition itself um but yeah for now um it's a case of that's that's been lodged with the madrid court um whether that gets escalated to the swiss with the swiss ministry um we will wait the same and they have kind of judiciary over uh over fifa because it's based in switzerland anyway so that's why that decision was handed down so i'll be interested to see how this plays out. i mean in, re- in reality, Guy, this isn't going anywhere, um, not for the rest of this year, not for next year. I mean, it's um, they may well reach an uneasy truce with UEFA, Barcelona, um, Juventus and Real Madrid might, but I, I think uh, it-, it will just be parked for the time being until such time that football finds itself in another existential crisis um, that can be uh, leveraged to-, to-, to better suit their needs. Yeah, when football fans want matches to be half an hour or whatever it was, Florentino <laughs> Perez was suggesting. Four, four quarters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, I wonder if that has anything to do with advertisement. No, uh, yeah. let's 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 move from that. And just finally, what you were saying there in terms of, and I suppose the main attraction for Liverpool of the Super League was sort of the the uh, revenue they knew they would definitely be getting from being participants 
no matter what in Europe's premier competition, but also, as you say, the broadcasting rights. Now, for the Premier League, they've been signed just at the rate of what the, the last agreement was. It's already been agreed to. Everyone knows what they're getting and there won't be any drop in the money. But in terms of, and we spoke about Redbird before, there's a man on their sort of board and the composition of what they do who has played an awful big part in what the NFL have done previously in sort of their last huge deal that they were able to broker. And now being part of, I suppose, this ownership model within FSG on, on the Redbird side of things is going to uh, lead to sort of some fascinating sort of maybe developments with what Liverpool are going to be looking to do with maybe down the line their, their European matches or, I suppose, in the end, domestic matches too. Yeah, I mean, Kev- Kevin LaForce was... Um, was the for one of the forces behind um, the NFL um, deal? I mean that deal has, was struck kind of height of the pandemic. I think in the states, um, it's a multi-year deal, so ten years, hundred billion dollars um, or hundred and ten billion dollars um, deal. So that has allowed for the NFL to plan. Uh, I mean that, that's what Liverpool and, and kind of FSG. That's what they really like: cost certainty. Um, into the future. So that's a 10-year deal, um, bumper deal for all the teams um, negotiated into the middle of a pandemic. Um, I mean, Kevin LaForce wasn't the only person behind that deal, but he was very much a, a key driver and he has uh, a lot of fingers and a lot of pies in terms of he also looked after the um, the equity fund for the, the league itself. Um, so where they invest kind of the league's pooled money um, to create more money, which is <clears throat> ultimately what kind of venture capitalists do. Um, so that has uh, that that was really successful, uh, and having him on board at Redbird is a clear statement of intent of um, where they see themselves. I mean, they are. I think they're going to experience huge growth. I mean, they have all the right people in the right places um, in the company at the moment, um, and they're going to become a huge player in in in, in global sport. I think um, much like. City Football Group try and um, you know exert kind of global dominance in terms of um, the the football model, same as Red Bull. Um, something similar will happen there. I mean, Kevin LaForce will bring with him the ability to negotiate um, with kind of the biggest and best in the states, um, find new ways of monetizing content, um, appealing to a US audience for whether it's. A new, you know, a new Premier League deal, or or, or all it, having these type of people on board with so many contacts is is invaluable, um, and I think that he, he may well play a, a significant role moving forward. Um, at the moment, it, it's just with Redbird nothing to suggest it's going to be coming in and, and, and kind of sorting out what happens in terms of FSG. But I mean, as I said at the top of it, I think that Redbird's influence at FSG will only grow. So I think it's. Um, it's worth keeping an eye on on the, the kind of the, the major players behind the scenes at Redbird, um, because ultimately I think moving forward that they will have a greater say of the direction of um, FSG and ultimately um, Liverpool. Yeah, most definitely interesting stuff indeed. Well, that's it then for this edition of the Bottom Line here on the Blood Red Channel. Do make sure to uh, register for the Blood Red Club if you're not already part of it. Check out the link in the description. But from myself, Guy Clark and Dave Powell, thanks a lot for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.